You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hello and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back with us this week. As we discuss Downfall, the case against Boeing. Yes. This one isn't as fun as the last one. (laughs) I don't think there'll be any spirit wieners involved today. It's really unfortunate because, you know, I like to interject a little bit of whimsy, but I don't know what I'm going to be able to bring to this discussion because it's just out and out blinding rage (laughs) the whole time. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, A different Uh kind of rage than the last one. Right. This is, uh, uh, I don't know. Mm. You guys, you have to watch it. It came out just this year in 2022. It's an hour and 29 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it is on Netflix. It's directed by Rory Kennedy. I mean, so they start the whole thing off, right? And it's talking about how safe people feel flying. There's a lot of footage of people in airports and little kids with their little kid suitcases and stuffed animals. And it, you know, it's just, it's, pleasant you know going on vacation is exciting it is I would say that the airport isn't pleasant though it's stressful well but the the footage is pleasant in my opinion it doesn't it's not showing people screaming at people at the counters or whatever it's it's not that part of it yeah yeah Yeah. so that that is nice we're introduced to Andrew Pastor who is a Wall Street Journal reporter and he's Mm -hmm. throughout this but he had discussed how we had just come to like the safest time in aviation history. Like there had been no crashes in the previous year, like 2017, anywhere in the world. So Mm -hmm. we're just really moving in the right direction theory. Yeah. And then they discuss the Lion Air flight 610 in Jakarta, Indonesia had crashed. Right. So this is October 29th, 2018. And I mean, I think we all know that there's been coverage of these large airplane crashes for, I couldn't even tell you how long. I mean, they mm-hmm. break into the, new, you know, into programming. They do all these kinds of things. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. How many were on this flight, Erin? I didn't write it down in this case. There were 189 people. Okay, there you go. They discuss that this is the Boeing 737 MAX. This is a pretty new plane. Brand new, yeah. Yeah, I mean what months, if even in service. Mm -hmm. And this plane is big deal. It had been kind of redesigned a little bit. Like it's a bit of a reboot of a previous model for Boeing. Right. Right. And, you know, they kind of talk about a lot of this is told from the perspective of Gara Masethi, Mm -hmm. who is the wife of the pilot. And I have his name down, but I am so loath to try to pronounce it because I don't want to butcher his lovely name. Right. She discussed that morning, right? So they got up very early in the morning mm-hmm. and she talks about how that's very normal because he has an early flight. Mm-hmm. So he checked the schedule. He talked to his co-pilot. They had breakfast and he left for the airport and she went back to bed expecting to get a call in a couple hours when he lands. Right. right. The usual. Which I think is like so domestic and lovely and just... I mean, just a little slice of life, right? I think mm-hmm. that's so cute that she was like, we had breakfast and he was talking to people. And then I went back to bed and I'm mm-hmm. like, you're a real human being. And I appreciate that mm-hmm. about you, madam. Yeah. And she said that, you know, she gets a call from a coworker that says mm-hmm. they can't find the plane. Right. So I watched this with my mom. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. And it was interesting because my mom was married to my dad, who was a pilot and my dad did die mm-hmm. plane crash, but it, not a commercial plane crash. Mm-hmm. And so when this woman is discussing her husband, she's like, but I knew how he flew. I knew that safety was the most important thing. I knew that he was the best pilot. I knew these things about him. My mom's like, I know exactly how she feels. Of course. And I'm like, how horrible. Well, the problem is it's, I don't want to say sensationalized because a lot of people died. And I mean, you know, they have that couple days where they're looking for the black boxes Mm -hmm. and nobody really knows what's going on but I think Boeing comes out early and strong to be like well these pilots 
Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. And this wife is like, wait just a damn minute. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's the case. Like, that's that doesn't really line up with what I knew about my husband. And then, of course, it's like, well, it's the airline and they had a spotty safety record. Mm-hmm. But they don't really discuss, and I didn't have the wherewithal to look up. They do also admit that it had gotten significantly better in recent years. It had, yeah. Um, but this was like a quotey fingers cheap airline and so the blame is getting slung everywhere and I feel so bad for this woman Mm -hmm. who's like hold on a second we don't even know what happened yet and here they are blaming the dead I mean the dead can't fight back right I know but it's just it's so frustrating and there's just a lot of problems with that so yeah Boeing immediately comes out and is like listen Mm-hmm. The airlines should have trained their pilots to better handle unique situations. And I'm like, the fucking definition of unique is that this doesn't happen all the time. How the fuck are they going to prepare for that? Sorry, that pissed me off. Yeah, too, it goes back to like, you can't anticipate everything. Like, you can't put everything that ever may happen in a simulator, which we will also get to. And there's also some weird racist bullshit stuff going on. Oh, like, yeah. Well, as American pilots would have been able to handle anything with these, like, you know, like, it's... off-brand international pilots doing yes. the fuck they're doing. And I'm like, oh, my God, please stop talking. Just... It was so bad. When when you hear yes. people say, well, American pilots would never have had this problem. And I was like, the fuck you say? That's some bullshit. That's some ballsy bullshit right there. And it's only because Boeing is an American company. Had this happened to, say, oh, an absolutely. Airbus, that would have been like, it's totally Airbus's fault. Let's take just a second to back up and like, so at the beginning, they talk a little bit about there are currently 10,000 Boeing planes in service right now or at the time of this incident. And they have an amazing safety record. So I think it really occurs to no one Mm -hmm. that it could be the plane. And it's a brand new plane too, right? It's not like this plane was 40 years old. It was a brand new plane, (laughs) fresh off the line. Yeah, it's interesting too, because they're like, okay. It wasn't the weather. Weather was good. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a guy that I like. His name's John Ostrower. Yeah, I think that's it. I wrote down <laughs> very few names. I apologize. That's okay. Editor-in-chief of some amazing magazine publication called The Air Current. He he um, kind of pops up a few times mm-hmm. in this. And he says, yeah, like literally no one was talking about was it the plane. Right. Oh, Absolutely. Uh-huh. But that's weird. What it, it, and again, it's not like it was mid-flight. It was within minutes of taking off that mm-hmm. this plane crashed. And we're talking like 13 minutes after takeoff. So while they're climbing, you know, that's not a lot of time for like some shit to go down. Right? Like, you know, there's a lot of moving bits and a lot of mm-hmm. intricate things on a plane. But it seems weird, right? Like weather's clear experienced pilots new plane yeah new plane i mean like you know what what are we dealing with at this point well they find the black boxes both of them yep so you have the data recorder and then you have cockpit voice thing yeah right yeah Mm -hmm. and so they can see on the data recorder that pretty quickly it starts pitching down and all these errors start coming up it's like and you Mm -hmm. can hear in the cockpit all of these different errors are coming up everywhere horribles i can't even imagine how terrifying that was well yeah and i do like the fact that in the documentary they have experienced pilots Mm -hmm. kind of laying it out for you in i'm gonna say layman's terms yes you know they kind of talk about what happened first and what it would have felt like and i guess there's like a rattly thing on the (laughs) you know what i mean like um the stick would have been shaking a lot yes yeah and i'm like oh that's kind of a cool notification you know what i mean like in the midst of all these bells and whistles and shit going off also you have the tactile feeling of like the vibration in the stick which is Mm -hmm. a big indication but i really like the fact that they had a shit ton of pilots talking one was the guy that landed the miracle on the hudson guy sullenberg yeah yeah and so he was walking you through some of it And I really liked the fact that they got the people who do this for a living to tell you the story of how this went. Because a lot Mm -hmm. of times it's from the perspective of people outside. Right. Business people Mm -hmm. or reporters or even though they have some understanding, it's not quite the same. Yes. I mean, I, I thought it was well done in a way that I could really understand it. 
you know, kind of in sequence and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, they include some of the recordings of these people and they're like, go up, go up. And then that doesn't happen. So yeah, the plane is yelling at them to go up. They show the data and you can see how the nose keeps pitching down really hard, really fast. And so Mm -hmm. they're trying to pull it up and they get it back up a little and then it pitches down again and then they pull it up Mm -hmm. and they pitch it down. And it's, it's clear that they were fighting this plane the entire time. Yeah. All the analysts and stuff are like, what is this? Like, I don't know what they were expecting to see, but this was an anomaly. This was weird. So they're like, uh, Boeing, oh, Boeing, what gives? And that's (laughs) when we learn about the MCAS. Mm -hmm. Because they say it looks like it was uh, an erroneous MCAS activation. Mm -hmm. You know, that MCAS thing that's where in the manual? It was in the abbreviation section. That's the only place. (laughs) Yeah. And then everybody's like, the fuck is this? (laughs) Right. You have a system that just crashed my plane what the fuck is going on? Right, right. So they talk about this sucker is activated when the angle of attack sensor, which is, it looks like a stick poking out of the nose of the plane. (laughs) There are a couple sensors on the nose there. And yes, Mm -hmm. that's just one of them right on the nose of the plane. Right. So then they talk a lot about, I don't know, how how do you want to get into this? Well, first, the MCAS system stands for Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System. That makes it clear as mud. I know it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anytime you work in science or engineering, you're going to have a lot of letters that you have to just (laughs) memorize because that's how we work. That is how we work. Yeah. But everybody's like, okay, cool. But still, we've not been told about this. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like, a lot of raised eyebrows and a lot of shouting and a lot of people being like, how can this have crashed a plane? We don't even know about it. So I think... The first thing Boeing says is, well, we didn't want to overwhelm the pilots. Right? That is the <laughs> like, most... Right, because Andrew finally got like an upper level executive to say, listen, we did not discuss this with the pilots because we didn't want to overwhelm them with information. I don't think you can possibly overwhelm a pilot with information about the plane they're going to be flying. Well, I mean, how condescending to be like, well, I mean, we've got the 10,000th detail is the one that's going to overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think these are extraordinarily bright people. Like, <laughs> they got to know about this shit on the plane. You have to. You have to know about these yes. things. It, it was pretty much every pilot they talked to in this documentary was like, the fuck? Right. That's the only response you can have. Yeah. It was um, the Lion Air captain's wife had said that the only training he got for the new 737 MAX was like an iPad training. I'm guessing a lovely Mm -hmm. PowerPoint presentation, maybe some simulations of planes flying in the air. Mm -hmm. It was um, lacking to say the least. Right. So Boeing now realizes that they're going to have to provide a little bit of training. So there was one example of the Boeing people and their lobbyists coming to the Allied Pilots Association. Mm -hmm. I always bring lobbyists to training. Weird dynamic. So one of the pilots was associated or was in this meeting, kind of tells the story. And he was like, I thought they'd bring like, you know, a PowerPoint, they'd bring, you know, some kind of charts and data and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. They bring nothing. They're like, Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get a software fix it in place in six weeks, which I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody's ever worked with any piece of software, but um <laughs> nothing gets fixed in six weeks. Right? No. If ever. No. And so they're also like, we're not grounding anything in the interim. Like, it's not a big enough deal that we're going to compromise whatever. You know, it's it'll be fine. Yeah, of course it will. They kept pushing that line. You see the CEO come out many times over. The 737 MAX is safe. It's the safest plane. People are flying it everywhere. Yeah. And then, then we get to March 10th, 2019. A mere 19 weeks after the Lion Air crash. And Ethiopian Airlines has a crash that happens to also be a brand new 737 MAX. Yeah. It was 157 souls on that one. Right. This is flight 302. Mm-hmm. This is out of Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And yeah, 157 people aboard on this. And another good thing that they do, this the lead of this story is kind of told by the father of one of the passengers. Her name is... Samia Stumo. Mm-hmm. 
and um, his his name is Michael, but I did not get his last name. It's a little bit different than hers, but she does like public health stuff. That's her career. Mm-hmm. So she spent quite a bit of time in Africa and, you know, kind of doing good work there. An actual good human being. It's rare these days. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I think some interesting things that come out of this. I don't even know where you want to go with this, Aaron. Well, first, they wouldn't let the families go to the plane crash site initially. Right. And I get yep. that. I absolutely get that. I don't know what mm-hmm. point you release that. But initially, they do finally let them go. and. Mm-hmm. They're like, there were no pieces of plane that were big enough that you would think it would make up a plane. You could tell this plane hit the ground at like 500 miles an hour, straight into it. There was a hole in the ground. There was Mm -hmm. very little remains left because there were no bodies that could be identified. It's horrific. Horrific. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting when they talked about the giant crater Mm -hmm. that's in the ground. And, you know, they provide footage for you to watch of families at the site and it is extremely difficult mm-hmm. to watch it. I cried. I might cry again. <laughs> <laughs> I did, especially with the dad talking about his daughter. It's yeah. Horrible. Yeah. There are a few other families that speak throughout this, but you know, what we run into at this time is Boeing saying, well, you know, we got the message out and people knew about the MCAS this time. Mm-hmm. The pilots didn't react perfectly, and that's what caused the crash this time. Well, they actually said that the first time, too. They said the pilots didn't react the way we expected them to react. That is true. And the pilots were like, react to what? (laughs) Right. They didn't know it was there. They didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Now, these pilots had received some training Mm -hmm. to be able to counteract this in case it kicked in or did something Mm -hmm. or whatever. But yeah, again, it's, it's... It's pushing the blame on somebody else again. It's so annoying. But when they find the black box data for the Ethiopian Airlines flight, Mm -hmm. the pilots did exactly as Boeing told them to. Exactly what they were trained to do to counteract this MCAS system. But by that time, they were going too fast and Mm -hmm. there was too much pressure on the tail that there was no way they they could recover. It just wasn't possible. Right. And they also discussed, they find the jack screw, Mm -hmm. which is a thing at the back of the plane, which controls the flaps that keep the nose down, that push the nose down. And that thing, yeah, yeah. So basically that thing was all the way engaged. So it would have been pushing the nose of the plane down. This is despite what the pilots are trying to do. Yes. So it's kind of a little extra proof that shit's awry here mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so in the first crash it was a water crash mm-hmm. so probably not as much that they can recover in the second they had a, in my opinion probably had a little bit more to find so there you go yeah they did have a little bit more mm-hmm. but Boeing is still towing that line uh, the 737 max is safe Mm-hmm. You know what? Safety is our top priority. And mm-hmm. that's really, it's a safe aircraft. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just vomiting shit out that the what they think people want to hear. Yeah, entirely problematic. So about this time, we find out that, you know, there's some discussion about should we ground these? And Boeing's like, you guys don't need to ground anything. It's fine. Oh, we, fine. we good. We good. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. It's totally fine. Safe. You know, don't look over here. It's cool. But like of all places, China's like, hey, we don't feel too good about this. We're going to ground all of these planes. (laughs) And then like once that domino falls, there are a bunch of places that do it, like Australia and New Zealand and like bunches of places in Europe and Mm -hmm. Ireland and I guess all the places that care about their people. What's the U.S. do, Erin? What do we do here in the fine United States? Nothing initially, no. (laughs) No. Absolutely correct. We're like... It's cool, I think. It's way it's cool. fine. But eventually, after the jack screw mm-hmm. was found, I think is kind yep. of what pushed it over the edge. Trump, the president at the time, did ground the planes. So yep. out of his presidency, there was at least one good thing that he did. I will give right. him that one good thing. <laughs> and so they also discussed that there, this was the one time that a president had to get involved so the mm-hmm. FDA didn't order this. Well, the this FAA pres- didn't either. 
Oh, sorry. Thank you. That's the one. <laughs> Weird how one of them tends to roll off my tongue more than others. EFAA says, that's fine. But the president comes in and, uh, you know, gets us back in the party with the cool kids, I guess. Yeah. What was the the senator's name? Not the senator's name. Peter the... DeFazio. Thank you. We have Representative Peter DeFazio. Mm-hmm. Two days after the second crash, he starts an investigation. Mm-hmm. The crash families, a lot of them came to D.C. to help mm-hmm. and push Congress to do something, solve the problem, figure out what the hell is going on. Because these two seemingly unrelated accidents were much, much too similar for it to be pilot error or rogue weather or whatever they're trying to push out. They want Boeing to be held accountable. Right. So this is a congressional hearing on aircraft safety. And this is by the transportation committee mm-hmm. and our friend representative Peter is a Democrat out of Oregon. So I want to make sure that I mentioned that, but uh, Boeing's like, Hey, those pilots, they didn't do everything properly or perfectly. And again, we have some pilots that chip in and they're like, so pilots shouldn't have to make up for shitty systems, <laughs> right? They can only do so much. What a novel concept. You know, I mean, like, I I will give you experience is a wonderful thing to have. But when the equipment that you're working with is borked, not a great situation to put people in. Mm -hmm. And this whole time, Boeing is still hiring people to push out that message that it was the foreign pilots that were to blame for this. They're still pushing it. Yeah. While we're waiting for Boeing to get their documentation together, because evidently that's quite a goddamn process that they're like you know what congress you can wait oh yeah the fight that it took to get the documentation at all jesus yeah and i'm like to congress who who are you better than them apparently i don't know i guess so boeing's in seattle and from the late 50s let's say they they start to make a big deal name for themselves Mm -hmm. they talk a lot about the amazing engineering that was coming out of boeing The quality standards were amazing. Mm -hmm. They really left a mark on aviation and engineering for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. The first big breakthrough they had was on the 747, and this is in the late 60s. And so these are one of the the giant passenger liners that are carrying like 400 people and stuff. I would even venture to say it started before that. So they started the 707 was in Mm -hmm. the late 50s. This is when commercial flying was just really getting started. They mm-hmm. had the seven twenty sevens again. Those are still in flight now, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. The seven thirty seven came out in nineteen sixty seven, and those, as mm-hmm. we can see, have been revamped a million times and are still the workhorse. But right. yeah, the seven forty seven you discussed was the late sixties. Could fit four hundred ninety passengers. Made it economically feasible for people to travel internationally. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Do you think like? This is why people dressed up like it was new and a big deal. And then as things got cheaper and there were more flights and stuff, then we just got to wearing like flip flops and sweatpants, which is trash. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I did ask my mom about what, you know, what was your first flight and how was it? And I think right. she was in high school and I don't remember where she said they went in high school. I'm like, did you dress up? She's like, yeah, everyone dressed up to fly then. Like I was the dumbest person to ask that question. I'm like, well, I'm just curious if it was like, if that's just what they portray much like fifties mm-hmm. housewives always being done up. And she's like, no fifties housewives. All of them were not always done up. That's just stupid. <laughs> but I asked this question and I'm mm-hmm. stupid. So she's like some of the best food she ever had was on flights early on like that. It was amazing. That's really fun to think about, though, right? Like, what a big deal it was to fly and mm-hmm. go somewhere and, like, you know, that kind of stuff. I love that. I love that thought. So a couple other people that are introduced, uh, one of them is John Barnett. He's a quality manager working at Boeing from 1985 to 2017. I like the fact that he start, starts talking about team wear, team gear. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, they came out with these stupid shirts and it said Boeing and all. I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then he was like, then we wore them outside and people were like, oh my God, you work for Boeing. That's really cool. You know? Yeah. And I thought, oh, isn't that the truth? Because sometimes when you get swag from your, you know, from work, then you're like, okay, I guess it's all right. And then you're like, oh, it's actually, they did put some thought behind this. So it's kind of exciting. But um, I like that that's where he started. But he talks a lot about the environment was really 
awesome there. There was a lot of mutual trust. There was support for management. Mm -hmm. It was really a sense of family and belonging. And I know you and I laugh about this because, I mean, that's what corporations love to say. Like, we're a family and you belong here. And if you don't work yourself to death, then fuck off. But I get the feeling that's not exactly what was happening at Boeing at this time. Yeah. Right. You have, we have a couple people that, that we talked to, mm-hmm. different engineers at the company. One of them, Cynthia Cole, had been an engineer from 1978 to 2010, which is an extraordinary career, especially for a woman. Go, girl. I mean, yeah. But yeah, she had discussed it was a culture of mutual trust. Mm-hmm. If you raised a problem, they dealt with it. Like if you came up and said, listen, this isn't safe. Something's got to change. Mm-hmm. They stopped it. They fixed it. That was their priority. Right. They said it was a culture of bad news. Like I'm bringing news to you. It may not be great, but yeah, you were believed you were, they were like, Oh, Mm -hmm. let's solve this. And I love that idea in a science engineering place. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen other places, but I, what I am saying, like, I think people felt the gravitas of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. You can't just cut corners and expect people to fly good all the time. Right. And that affects people's lives. I mean, one person had said, later on that people talked about like they were making washing machines. <laughs> we're not making mm-hmm. fucking washing machines. These are planes. People get on them. It can seriously affect people's lives. Yeah. hundred percent. And so that was, yeah. I mean, it was a well-known company. Everyone loved working there for the mm-hmm. most part. I'm sure you have one or two weird outliers, but. I was just going to say the person that you mentioned and then John Barnett, I mean, these are extremely long careers. And so people don't tend to stay places that don't value them for a really long time. So those are one of the indications that now I don't have any statistics on how often that was happening, but you know, in this sample set, it seemed like people liked working there, felt good about it. Yep. And I feel like that kind of, um, that was probably much more common at one point in time in history that people, people, Mm -hmm. they wanted to keep their employees. They wanted to make a good product And then that tends to change starting 80s, 90s. We see this change. They Mm -hmm. saw it at Boeing in 1996 when they merged with McDonnell Douglas. Yeah. So Boeing had been quality geared and they were like, okay, if we take care of business, we do our job right, then the profits will come. Yep. This quality mindset shifted to, hey, Wall Street wants us to do better And so they began to really chase that dollar to the expense of everything that they'd ever stood for Mm -hmm. previously. Yeah. Can I ask a stupid question that I'm sure you don't have the answer to, but to the general public, Uh you have two companies coming together to merge. But I think essentially Boeing's reputation was much better than McDonnell Douglas at the time. Mm -hmm. And Boeing kind of acquired McDonnell Douglas. I didn't think of it as the other way around. But yep. for some reason, the CEOs of McDonnell Douglas are the ones who are now running the new merged company as Boeing. Why the fuck would you have it with a company who wasn't doing as well, didn't have the safety records you have, now run your company? Who the fuck decided that was a good idea? I think it's the mindset, though, because this was like a shift everywhere that you had to take care of your stockholders and like what your footprint was on Wall Street was the mark of success. So all that other Mm -hmm. shit that they used to do was no longer relevant. And they had to all Mm -hmm. become the Gordon Geckos of the world. So they got a stone cold gangsta in there to run this shit. And his name is Harry Stone Shipper is what I wrote, but I don't think that's right. (laughs) Stone Cipher. (laughs) But I think we should call him Stone Shipper from now on. Well, or Shitter. I like that too. <laughs> I like that some of the employees talked about they had to be aware of the stock price. Like they introduced some initiative where it's called, well, I don't know, share value or whatever. And so, like, you just had mm-hmm. to be able to parrot it back to whoever was asking you what the stock price was today. And, and what can we do to raise the stock value? Right. It was everybody's responsibility to, like, kind of know this and increase value and like when they would have the big company meetings that's all they would talk about and I'm like Mm -hmm. well one of the ways to increase value which we have seen I have seen it every single company I've worked Mm -hmm. at to increase value you 
make things for cheaper. Mm -hmm. You reduce the number of people that you have doing the same amount of work. So you work more with less Mm -hmm. and expect everybody to do more work. And then they're always like shocked and surprised and clutching their pearls when things don't work out well. How could this possibly have not worked out to our benefit? Well, I think it looks great on paper, right? Sounds great. Looks great. It's not great. It looks good on paper for a period of time, right? right? Long enough for people to get some money and get out and go to another company. And then the next person that comes in has to deal with the downfall. Right. 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 Because it's not sustainable at all for any company. I don't care what you're making, what you're doing. That mindset is not sustainable. Absolutely. So one of the next moves they make is they change the Boeing headquarters. They move it to Chicago. And did you get the Mm -hmm. rationale behind that? I did. I thought it was really interesting that they said the reason why was to separate the like heads of business from the engineering technical people Mm -hmm. so they wouldn't get pushback when they made changes and did shit. And I'm like, oh my God, I would have never, I would never think about shit like that. I can't even imagine. Well, it's almost like you kind of get the feeling that they're almost a nuisance. Like you're getting in our way of our big time profits. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you think is happening here? Like, Who are the people that are supposed to execute your big time plans? You know what I'm saying? I, I -hmm. find it completely fascinating that like these goddamn engineers. Now, have I felt that way a time or two? I absolutely have. (laughs) Every single day I curse packaging engineers. You are the bane of everyone's existence. Know that. Right. (laughs) But I mean, like you want to get away from the pushback of the people who build your product. That's really something mm-hmm. in, a, in a life and death situation. Yeah. As they start making these changes, Airbus slowly over the years has just been kind of growing and mm-hmm. growing and growing. And eventually they start to overtake Boeing because Boeing over the years has been going down, down, down. Mm-hmm. And so now Airbus is becoming more popular in sales, they're selling more mm-hmm. than Boeing is year on year. So Boeing is at the top of the heap for like 100 years or something like that. Probably not that long, but it feels like that. And then, yeah, Airbus, this up and comer out of Europe is like, we can do it better. We can be more fuel efficient, mm-hmm. which is a big deal to your airlines. Like one of their major costs is fuel. So they're always asking mm-hmm. for planes that are going to be more fuel efficient. And I think that that's probably pretty pretty standard like cars. Like we always want cars to be more fuel efficient. So to Mm -hmm. me, those are probably very synonymous over the last several years to give you kind of a parallel, perhaps in a normal person's life that's not buying planes. So Boeing gets behind. Mm -hmm. And they talk about a culture of now, if you bring up a problem, you might get fired or get moved out of that area. There are serious ramifications. One person got his pay docked for bringing up a problem. Yeah, he wrote uh, shit down. It in writing. Yeah. And they're like, no, mm-hmm. please don't do that. Or just don't do that. There's probably no please there. But if you put it in, if there's documentation, then we can't have probable deniability. Possible deniability. That's the yeah. one. Yeah. All the words. <laughs> but can you imagine having a culture for years and years of, so they said like kind of a mechanic does a process and a quality, mm-hmm. like a manager would come over and check the work. And so now they're like, don't worry about checking that. We'll have the mechanic right next to the one that did, you know, completed something, kind of give it a quick eyeball. And I imagine there's a form and a checkbox and that's all they do. And so mm-hmm. they start telling these stories about just debris and shit being left all over the planes as they're being built, like uh, metal shavings in the wiring compartments that can spark and catch fire. A ladder left in the horizontal stabilizer that they didn't find until after the test flight. Right. And so had it shifted at all, that plane would have crashed. Right. A ladder. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a small like screwdriver. It's a freaking ladder. Right. So think about when everybody gets pissed off because a surgeon or somebody leaves a pair of scissors or a gauze package or whatever in somebody's midriff. Innards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like people freak out about that. Okay, this is equivalent, except it's going to now affect 200 people. Well, and I was thinking of the same exact analogy, like, okay, because <laughs> surgeons have to count yes. everyone they put in to make sure they get everything out, right? There's mm-hmm. They keep track of everything now because things have been left inside on accident. And I'm like, are they going to have to implement the same thing in Boeing? Like, listen, we used one ladder up there and I don't see that ladder now. But I mean, don't you think that those rules were in place for a reason? Because, I mean, aviation has a long history. And if I were building 
a product and I had the opportunity to learn what had happened in other instances of crashes, maybe I'd be like, okay, are we doing all we can to prevent this kind of accident from our product? So to me, it just, it makes sense. And it's just like, you cannot cut corners and expect good results, but they really were unconcerned about that. People got fired. Like you said, people got their pay docked. They just did away with quality managers just in general. Like it was way reduced. There was some weird undercover footage that they showed of like, you know, uh, walking around in the plant and talking to different people. And they're like, oh, they forgot to put a shim on the landing gear. And the guy's face in the video that you could see was like, you know, it was just like, (laughs) the most cartoonish face like he was like oh my god it's the worst so you know you gotta get the sense that it was a big deal but they weren't surprised they were like okay yeah it's horrible and again I've seen it at every single company everyone doesn't matter what you do and in some cases it's going to have a much larger impact on society and people Mm -hmm. Um, the industry we work in is a good example it would it would have a huge impact on society and in this industry as well, clearly, it, it was evident how it affected their product and the world as a whole. But it's not sustainable. I don't know why anyone thinks that it's okay to do that. And they just think money, 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 mm-hmm. money. That's all they care about. Yep. 100%. Ugh. So then we kind of go back to the hearing, jump back into that a little mm-hmm. bit. And our friend, Representative Peter, says... Boeing is being extremely difficult in providing the documents that they've requested. There's a lot of lawyering conversations that have to happen before they will turn over these documents. So Yeah, we hear from former employees, one which testified that he warned Boeing of the issues prior to the first crash mm-hmm. and again prior to the second mm-hmm. crash. Mm-hmm. Of course, the warnings were ignored. Yeah. So they start talking about how we get the 737 MAX. How do we even get to this plane? Mm -hmm. What is its purpose? Why is it here? And we find out that the Airbus has made an A320neo. So the A320 is essentially their version of the 737. Similar size and capacity. But they made a Neo in 2010, which was much more fuel efficient. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they kind of got ahead of the game before anyone really asked for it, because that's when oil prices were just shooting through the roof, right? right? We're 2008 mm-hmm. and nine. And so they're like, listen, we're going to help combat these problems. Mm-hmm. And that's like you said, airlines really want fuel efficiency because it's a huge cost. Mm-hmm. Now that plane sold faster than any other plane in history. Yeah. And Boeing was like, oh, fuck. Yep. We got nothing. They yep. had no new planes. They didn't have time to make a new plane. They just didn't have anything to give the market. Do you think that's because they didn't listen to their engineers, the people who oh, design things? I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. <laughs> just, just saying. How interesting. Okay. <laughs> how did we go 10, 15 years without a new plane? I, know, I just so don't bizarre. Know. So their their idea is like, hey, you know that uh, 737 that's been around for 45 years? I think we just revamped that. And they had been revamping oh, yeah. it throughout, right? We have so many versions of the 737. And it is a good mid-sized plane. It fits about 130, 150 people, I guess some larger, some smaller. Mm-hmm. And so that's good for getting across the country, right? Sure. That's fine. But yeah, they decided to just put more fuel efficient engines onto a current 737. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that will satisfy the airline's requirement to have a lower cost to run these planes, right? To fly them. Uh-huh. Another big issue that Boeing is trying to stay away from is the cost for simulator training for pilots. Sounds important. <laughs> Well, so here's the thing. If you revamp a mm-hmm. new plane, so the 737 has been out for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So if you make so few changes, they're, they're, the majority of the changes will not affect the pilots at all, mm-hmm. then the FAA is faster to approve mm-hmm. and you don't have to do simulator training for pilots, which is a huge cost for airlines to right. take their pilots out of the work, go wherever they have to go to do the simulator training for a mm-hmm. couple of days, right? Mm-hmm. So as they start designing this plane, that's what they promised the airlines. No new training for pilots. Mm-hmm. Score. The airlines want to hear that, right? Right, right. They're excited. Mm-hmm. And of course it worked. The 737 MAX sold like crazy. Yeah, more than they'd ever sold before. Yes. Stock prices soared, of course. Yep. They were happy because that's all they care about. Yep. And they went into this thinking they could just do it quick, cheap. Of course, these are people who don't do the engineering, making decisions about engineering. But see, that's that's the problem with your big picture people. That's why I'm like, oh, 
we're going to give you these sets of circumstances and then it's your responsibility tech smart people to make it come to fruition which reminds me a lot of the Theranos thing when she's like well this is what I've told everyone and now you idiots are supposed to you know make it happen yeah and they're like can we make the box bigger and she's like no and they're like okay can we do fewer tests and she's like no that's exactly what's happening here it's like you've Mm -hmm. made decisions without consulting the people who have to make this happen oh so annoying it is So they end up having to design a plane with very few differences or to cover up the differences that are there, right? Yes. That's the predicament they're in. Yes. So then the documents kind of come into play, right? Mm -hmm. So they finally get proprietary documentation and Congress starts pouring through it. Hundreds of thousands of documents, yes. I can't imagine anything more boring. (laughs) And a lot of it, if you see it, is redacted too. Oh, I saw that too. Yeah, I'm like, okay. (laughs) So a memo in 2013 says the MCAS system is significant. It's a new system and they had to do it because the new fancy engines that they mounted on the wings made it such that if you climbed at too high of an angle, the plane had a chance of stalling. And so they wanted to put some kind of automatic thing in there to help the pilots level her off and do they think. So what it was, was the engines, the way they had to be placed because they're heavier on this old frame. Engines had to be placed as such that it would kind of force the plane nose up too high. Yes. And that's what they were worried about. So this was to help, yes, pilots bring it down. Right. In theory, it's a good thing. Yeah. However, they did have to change it over time. So I think at the beginning, it wasn't as big of a deal, but it also had to work at low speeds. So that's when it had to have a little bit more power and there you go. Also, there's only one sensor. Uh, we kind of talked about that a little earlier for it's for a mission critical system. And all the pilots in the whole thing were like, no, you don't do that. You can't. You can't have one single thing that affects this entire system. Because as you've shown, if that one goes bad, the whole system is fucked, right? right. If you had a backup, it would have been okay. Right. And so they're talking about, like, I think it's hard for people to imagine, well, what's going to happen that would fuck up the sensor? And it's like, bird strike, mylar balloon, um, you know, what anything. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So that's, again, one of those things that we have learned over time, like, let's not put people in the air in a big metal tube with only one failsafe for this sucker. So yeah, they discuss how they didn't realize until they started testing the aircraft that they also needed it at the lower speeds, right? They Mm -hmm. thought just at high speeds. And so, I mean, they had to make changes fairly quickly. And those changes were pretty drastic. Like Mm -hmm. you said, it became more powerful. And it really, that's what pushed the nose down very hard, very fast, right? Whereas before it was supposed to be a gentle kind of getting them back to level. Right. This was more forceful. Mm -hmm. And there are memos showing that Within internal communications, we'll call it MCAS. But externally, we're just going to say it's in addition to the speed trim, which is already there and the pilots know about. Mm -hmm. So they already know that this is a significant enough change Mm -hmm. that they have to tiptoe around it so they don't have Mm -hmm. to get training. They know there should be training. Yeah. They're hiding this from the regulator, the person Mm -hmm. that works directly with them in these kinds of instances. So... They also happen to know that they call them cord sheets. So after the first crash, there was some kind of a analysis to understand what the pilots had to do with MCAS to make this, you know, they could turn it off, which they had educated the pilots. Of, well, I guess maybe they hadn't, but they were kind of trying to see what what else should be done here to make this system safe. So they find out that the pilots have less than 10 seconds to respond by turning mm-hmm. the system off before it's a catastrophic event. And they They're know that words. very, very early in this mm-hmm. whole to-do. And that's with the pilots trained. Yeah. And that's exactly what it said. In the document, mm-hmm. it specifically said with training, mm-hmm. they have less than 10 seconds to respond before it's catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And they're not even providing that training. 10 seconds is nothing. It takes 10 seconds to even understand i mean there are 300 different bells and whistles going off at the same time right how do you respond to that that fast right and so when you kind of look back the the folks in the lion air 
those people had no chance because they didn't even know the system Mm -hmm. existed. They didn't know to turn it off. The pilots on the Ethiopian airplane, they knew about it. They turned it off twice is what I have. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they weren't able to get it done in that 10 seconds. And so the way the MCAS works is... It's on for for 10 seconds, off for five seconds, on for 10 seconds, off. So you can kind of see, like, we're not really gaining a whole lot of altitude there. It just keeps, like, you know, pushing it down to impact, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. So Boeing knew about this at that time, and so did the FAA. Well, then. Yeah. I mean, they didn't initially, when they approved the plane, they did not know. And what's messed up is Lion Air even asked for more training. So this made me physically ill. Oh my God. Lion Air asked for more training. They're like, Hey, maybe a couple of days with flight simulations. Like they're willing to give up their pilots for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And pay the cost. And Boeing essentially like mocked him and was condescending. Like you don't need more training. It's just a regular 737. Don't yep. be stupid. Essentially is what they said. Yeah. I mean, again, this is in the documentation that they had to provide. So you're like, I understand why they didn't want to do it. And they were trying they damned us to not have to provide it. But again, I'm like, it's Congress. So, you know, good luck on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They discuss how Boeing sold over 5,000 737 maxes yep. better than any plane has ever done for them. Mm-hmm. Their profits soared. They were just living that sweet, sweet life. The world was sunshine and butterflies until October 29th, 2018, when the Lion Air crash happened. Yep. And one pilot commented, He's like, the pilots never understood that the plane was just trying to kill them. Yeah. And I'm like, how fucking horrible your own aircraft is trying to kill you and everyone else on board. Well, I mean, we've seen Christine and that didn't go well either. And that's a smaller stakes situation. So. Indeed. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it was smaller, but if left to go, she would have killed a lot more. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) She could have gained numbers. Right. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I guess another thing I want to say is that According to the families featured in this documentation, Boeing never reached out to them. Mm-mm. So never. Like they heard apologies over video, but that was it. Yeah. They discussed a Boeing. Knew, I mean, they knew what the problem was within days of that first crash. Oh, yeah. Within days they knew mm-hmm. and they chose not to do anything. FAA did a TARAM report, which is a transport aircraft risk assessment mm-hmm. methodology that predicted that without a fix, there could be 15 more crashes of this aircraft in its lifetime. So about one fatal crash every two years. Mm -hmm. That would be the most crashes for any plane ever above and beyond anything that we have ever seen. Of course, the report was not made public, but Boeing knew about it as soon as the FAA did. Mm -hmm. And Boeing says, well, you can't predict the future. You can't say when crashes are going to happen. And the Mm -hmm. FAA was like, oh, okay. Which I was like, why wouldn't you say neither can you fuckers? Well, but they also said, you can't predict crashes and we'll put a fix in place. We'll totally put a fix in place. And FAA is like, okay, cool. Thanks. That's all we need. Mm-hmm. Crisis averted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they got that sweet, sweet safety record to fall back on. Not anymore. <laughs> Ugh. The CEO continues to go on TV. The airplane's really safe. Don't you worry about it. Two crashes. <laughs> that ain't nothing. Right. That ain't nothing. <laughs> And one, it was the captain's wife of the Lion Air flight. She said, are profits more important than human life? Well, clearly they've shown they are. Well, I mean, this is a capitalistic society, so yes. All the companies mm-hmm. here ha- would put profit over human life. No right. matter what comes out of their stupid faces, they all do. Well, I mean, you know, let's let's scale down a little bit. When you're working with new analysts, you know, you're like, have your work checked. Chuck other people's work. Don't just assume because they know what they're doing. Like you assume that they have a quality mind. You don't just Mm -hmm. accept it blindly and not look. I mean, we have all kinds of checks and balances to avoid a situation downstream, which is really bad, could kill somebody. Yeah. So to me, this is the same thing, right? Like it's just, it starts with the expectations that you set today and you hold each other to those standards. And I just, I can't imagine being in an environment where management is telling you, yeah, don't worry about those checks. It's we good, we good. Yeah, and if our line of work there decide, well, we don't need QC and QA. We, that's just stupid. We don't need that. Just give them the data. The numbers are all they want. And I mean, it is hella inconvenient when things don't go well or data doesn't come out right, right or things get failed because of mm-hmm. the most mundane of minutia. You know what I mean? Like you're like, oh mm-hmm. my god. But I said I didn't write it down. I can't prove it happened. So I mean, that's mm-hmm. anyway. If you've there's been some awful ethical things that have happened in the pursuit of money. So 
Yeah. Down. And I like to think that a lot of times we learn from it. And in our industry, things like thalidomide, we learn from that. We do more testing. You know, you, you get these horrible instances. Right. And you're like, okay, we need to, to be better. And GLP comes out mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. So it's unfortunate that they had come so far and then slid right on back. Yeah. Right. And back farther than they were when they even started. So Yeah, absolutely. And so when I think about these things that kind of hang us up and make our stuff less efficient, I do think if I were a patient, I'm going to be glad this is in place because it's safer because it was checked and everybody was satisfied Mm -hmm. before it moved on to the next step. That's really a big deal. It is. Yeah. Okay. So in October of 2019, Mullenberg is scheduled to testify. That's Boeing CEO. The one that's been on TV everywhere. Listen, trust me. It's safe. Trust me. I think he's heavily medicated. He has no emotion. None. It's something. I don't know. He comes into the room for the hearing. There are family members there with pictures of their lost loved ones. He doesn't even really look at them. Mm -hmm. He's not addressed them at all. Mm -hmm. And I commented that, dude, even Ted Cruz thinks you're an asshole. That speaks (laughs) volumes. I mean, come on. For rails. Yeah. Mm-mm. And then anytime Ted, like Ted Cruz or any of the senators are like, listen, here's a document that clearly states this is a problem. Why didn't you stop it? And Mullenberg mm-hmm. is like, I, I just recently saw that document as well. I don't know anything about these things. This, this is everybody but me is the problem. I didn't know any of this, essentially. No one told, tells me anything. Well, I, I'm surprised they didn't blame it on the tech people. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm the sure ones we that just were. didn't see that. You know what I'm saying? But it's mm-hmm. just like... It's so interesting that you could run the company and say the buck stops here, but then the minute something comes up, you'd be like, well, I didn't, I didn't know about that or that or it's that. All my, all my underlings like twisting their mustache while tying me to the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's very hard to understand. I mean, like, it's written. You guys knew about this. Mm-hmm. You made a choice to not educate pilots, yes. hoping things would be good because you wanted the profits. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Yep. Yeah, anybody could have predicted that this was going to be a thing. Something's going to go wrong in these cut corner airplanes. Yeah. At one point in time during the hearing, he is forced to, a senator forces him to turn around and look at the families, makes the family members stand up and forces him to turn around and look at them. Still Mm -hmm. no emotion. Right. And they have big pictures of the people that were killed in the plane crashes. So it's not like you're just looking at a bunch of people. You're also looking at a visual representation of the people that were killed by the mistakes that were made by your company that was chasing mm-hmm. a profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over 300 people. It's, it's sickening. I think it's really interesting too, because this man had to have coaching from some kind of PR firm or some kind of applied psychology, somebody, somebody. And I'm so surprised <laughs> that they went with a system that was just like, we're going to act like nothing happened. We're going to keep a very straight face about this and like mm-hmm. let no emotion in. I think that would have played better if they had been like, we actually do have some remorse. Yeah, we are looking into it. We're seeing if there's anything that we did to cause this because we don't want this to happen again. Yes, Mm -hmm. anything, anything that could look like you're human and you give a shit. Right, right. It's, yeah. Two months after the hearing, Mullenberg resigns as CEO at the request of the board. The board is like, you got to (laughs) go. He was rewarded with stock and pension awards worth $62 million. So what a horrific punishment. It's so hard for him. Listen, anyone who needs me to ruin their company, I can come and do it in <laughs> no time. flat. It wouldn't even take me years. I can do it real, real right. fast and you can pay right. me a nice golden payout. Right. Well, I mean, you know what to do. Like you come in and you change all the processes. Well, you don't learn about anything. Right. You, you just, just change what you did at the last company <laughs> and just apply it here because yep. it worked last time. Mm-hmm. What do you mean the last company you did was washing machines? Totally works for planes as well. <laughs> right on, right on. Mm-mm. So yeah, let's let's get rid of all the quality. Uh, let's not listen to anybody else. And uh, we got a nice recipe for uh, some kind of uh, potential fraud. Oh, uh, yeah. Horrible things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But we got the dollar dollar bills. I mean, well done. Congrats. Mm -hmm. 300 and some people died. So, but they were like poor, broke people, I guess. They were foreigners. They don't matter. (laughs) Yes, kind of. I mean, (laughs) they don't expressly say that, but you definitely get the point of uh, these weren't Americans, nor were they Mm -hmm. American pilots who Mm -hmm. evidently must be awesome. So, I'm sure they are awesome. 
I just want all my pilots educated, if you if you don't mind. I think the pilots also would prefer to be educated on the systems that they're using. It's just, just a thought. I can't speak for all of them, but I'm going to yeah. make that general statement. Yes. The Boeing 737 MAX was grounded for 20 months, during which time the MCAS system was revised. Mm-hmm. Listen, I still don't fucking trust it. Every time I book a reservation, I look and see what plane is being what used on the flight. On. Mm-hmm. I absolutely do. Yeah, I think that's going to happen for me as a very infrequent flyer because I have some anxiety anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't feel good about it. <laughs> I don't either. But again, I maintain my odds have got to be pretty good, right? Because the odds of two people in the same direct family, not even like distant, mm-hmm. like same family dying from two separate plane crashes has got to be non-existent. Unless you're a Kennedy and I'm not. So I think <laughs> I'm safe. I think I'm safe. Let's see. In November of 2020, the FAA approved the plane to fly again. Boeing maintains that the MAX is safe. Yeah, they said that Mm -hmm. before too. Fuck off. The new CEO is spewing the same bullshit that the old one did. It's super safe. People are flying them everywhere. I don't know why everyone's worried about it. What's the big deal? Same shit. Different face. Mm -hmm. They requested Boeing to be on the documentary. They declined, but they did respond to questions in writing. Now, I didn't write Mm -hmm. down everything they said, but I got the gist, okay? They did say, with regards to foreign object debris, so FOD, being left in planes, they're like, we don't leave no FOD in planes. That's stupid. Right. It was was much longer. It was like two paragraphs to say that, so. But yeah, but it was just like, how dare someone suggest we would be so negligent? Yeah, we would never leave foreign object debris Uh, in any plane, ever. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, we don't retaliate against those who come forward with safety concerns. Never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, they essentially the whole time said, um, listen, we value safety and quality and everything everyone said is a lie and disregard mm-hmm. the fact that they're all fired now. <laughs> right. So we know what the word safety means. We know what the word quality means and we say them all the time. So yes. that should be enough, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Is that cool? <laughs> That's how that works, right? We just talk about it enough. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's all that matters. We say the words Mm -hmm. you want to hear. (laughs) January 2021, the U.S. Department of Justice charged Boeing with criminal conspiracy to defraud the FAA. Mm -hmm. Boeing agreed to pay $2.5 billion in fines and compensation, which allowed them to avoid criminal prosecution. Bullshit, I say. They should have been fined and been charged criminally. The people at the top who made those decisions, not the people at the bottom who tried to stop it, but those people mm-hmm. at the top that kept saying, we will not do this. We know about it, but we're choosing not to do this. They need to be charged. I think it'd be really interesting to see how a case like that would be prosecuted if there aren't a lot of documents of people trying to raise these issues, because we know that there was a culture of shoot the messenger. <laughs> but I mean, there were enough documents to prove they knew the problem. Yeah. yeah. And that problem then led directly to over 300 deaths. You shouldn't be able to buy your way out of that because these people are still working in industries that are making these decisions. So fuck, Mm -hmm. are you kidding me? They probably still work for Boeing. That shouldn't be allowed. Oh, I totally agree. I'm just saying this is the direction that we have been moving for some time. Like Mm -hmm. these white collar crime type dealios just never materialize. And Mm -hmm. I don't really know what that's about other than I think all the people at the top are in bed together. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's hard to prosecute your corporate besties, I guess. I don't know. Right. I think that was what surprised me the most about Ted Cruz being (laughs) so adamant that it was horrible. I'm like, listen, if this company was based in Texas and they gave you any money at all, you would have been like, listen, I understand shit happens, but we need to do better. You know what I mean? It it would have been a totally different scenario. I don't know. I know we talk a lot about conspiracy theories on this, so I don't want to be the person who's like now like, oh, but this one I'm in. (laughs) But I just, I, I think... People are treated differently if you have money. Oh, absolutely. I don't think that's conspiracy so, theory. That's, you, yeah, you can see that. Just life. Yeah. So I don't know. It, this one was very enraging. It was good to watch in the fact that it's, it tells a really important story. It's difficult because, you know, there's grief and a lot of emotion and senseless death. So, yeah, but it was good. 
I agree. It is very hard to watch, but it's very important to watch. Yes. And I think although we're focusing on one company in this documentary, it really sums up kind of the American culture, how it has changed so Mm -hmm. much over the decades and has become Mm -hmm. what it is now. Yep. And it's not a good direction that we're going. Nope. It doesn't feel good. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But next week is a little bit lighter, right? Right. Okay. What do we do next week? So we're going to do WeWork or the making and breaking of a $47 billion unicorn. Mm -hmm. This is a Hulu choice released in 2021. And I'm kind of pumped. It seems a a bit mysterious. (laughs) Right. I I will say I have watched it once. I have also watched the show. I think it's an Apple TV show called We Crash. Mm -hmm. That's really well done. And I'm having watched both of those. I'm still not entirely sure what the fuck the company was. I don't really get it. So I want everyone out there to watch it and then tell me what they think is going on. Right. I mean, on the surface, it sounds like one thing, but I'm like, that seems not right. I don't know. Yeah. So that'll give you guys a great chance to come in and rate, review, and subscribe. We'd always take any comments if you get to watch this a little bit before we record, usually on Sundays. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Go Doc Yourself. And uh, we always appreciate likes and follows and all those kinds of fun things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. This was a, a tough ride, but an important mm-hmm. one. So we appreciate you coming along with us. For sure. For sure. All right. Until next week. Later. Bye. Bye.